Welcome to NoSpinHomilies.com. I invite you to join me to reflect upon the homilies of Father Dan. Father Dan will challenge us to open our heart, mind, and soul to the Word of God. Father Dan will draw upon sacred scripture along with art, literature, and the lives of the saints to help us grow in our love and knowledge of the scripture. In doing so, we can become the living Word of God in this world. Now it is my pleasure to present to you No Spin Homilies. All three of the scripture readings for this weekend speak to us about God's true identity. And so then it begs the question, what is your image of God? We all have an image of God. Well, what is it? Now, it can be generational. What I mean by this is before Vatican II, which occurred in the middle 60s, people that grew up in the 50s, 40s, even the 30s, they heard nothing but sin, judgment, and the effects of sin and damnation. And so when they grew up, they grew up hearing this, and therefore the image that they formed of God was one of judgment. God is sitting up in heaven, holding a clipboard, tallying all of our sins, waiting to judge us. Well, the pendulum then swung the other way. After Vatican II, people that grew up in the 70s, the 80s, and 90s, they heard nothing but love. There was no sin, but it was all love. God is nothing but love. Therefore, we hear that banner theology that was so prevalent back then. I'm okay. You're okay. We're all okay. Go ahead and do whatever you want because God loves you. And so the image now was of a sugar daddy. That no matter what we did, good or bad, God would just pat us on the head and say, well, go your own way. Maybe a better question for us was, how was your image formed? And I think that question cuts to the heart of the scriptures for this weekend. In the gospel, Jesus tells us how we can grow in our knowledge, in our love of him, which is what our faith is really all about. Now, what's the potential problem here? How we grow in that knowledge and love of God? What steps do we take? What process do we use? Is our knowledge of God based upon being informed, in which I, myself, recognize and derive who God truly is without anyone helping me? Or is it being formed? with the help of God, the prophets, the church, as well as theologians. Now, you may say to yourself, well, what's the difference? It's all semantics. No, it's not. There's a great difference. I would argue the process of how we come to know and grow in the knowledge and love of God will determine if we truly come to the true identity of who God is versus being dead wrong just like the religious establishment was with Jesus. Let me explain this a little bit further. A person that is informed about God is one who comes to this conclusion about God through the process of their own self-study, their own self-research. They have the attitude of they don't need the help of others 
They don't need the help of sacred scripture, the prophets, the church, or even God to form their conclusion of who God is. See, a great example of that is the first reading as well as in the gospel. Turn to that first reading from the prophet Zechariah. Here, Zechariah is revealing to the Israelites just how Jesus Christ will be recognized as the long-awaited Messiah and King that will come and will recognize some of the attributes that Jesus will exhibit. And in doing so, they'll know that Jesus truly is the Messiah, the Son of God. Listen now. He says, O daughter Jerusalem, see your king shall come to you, a just savior he is, meek and riding on an ass, on a colt, the foil of an ass. Well, one of the characteristics in which we can immediately identify Jesus as the Messiah is that he will be meek and humble. Well, in the ancient worlds, kings weren't like that. You know, kings in the ancient world were bold and strong. Notice also, it says, he'll be riding on an ass, on a colt, the foil of an ass. Well, that's exactly the animal Jesus rode upon as he came into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. The foil of an ass essentially is a baby donkey. See, that's how humble Jesus is. And yet again, kings in the ancient world, they rode powerful Arabian horses, chargers, stallions, as a status of their power and their symbol of success. Notice also what this king is going to do. He's going to banish the chariot and he's going to banish the warrior's bow. Well, these are all weapons of war, of conquering other lands. And see, that's what kings in the ancient world would do. Year after year, they would go to war in order to expand their kingdom. Well, the new king is going to come, and it is going to be Jesus Christ. And we can immediately identify who he is. Why? Because he will be nonviolent, he will be meek, and he will be humble. He will be a person of peace. And that essentially describes who Christ is. That's why we know Jesus truly is the Son of God. Now, however, the Israelites, they didn't listen to the prophets or to God. They informed themselves. They taught themselves that the new king, the new Messiah, would be one that would fit the image of this world. And what was that image? Well, the new king would be strong and dominant and powerful and above all, a warrior, a general, which is just the opposite of Zechariah's prophecy, and the opposite, who Jesus truly is. And so the Israelites thought that they knew better. They knew better than the prophets, who, by the way, were speaking the words of God. And so the Israelites, especially the religious establishment, they formed their own conclusions about the Messiah, what he would look like, what he would do, how he would act, what he would think. And guess what? They were dead wrong. And this is why the Israelites, they didn't know who Jesus was. They didn't accept him. They rejected him. They saw him as a threat to their status quo, and therefore he was killed. See, now we begin to understand what Jesus is implying in the gospel for today. He says, Although you have hidden these things 
from the wise and the learned, which is the religious establishment. You have revealed them to these little ones. Well, who are these little ones that Jesus is referring to? Well, it's not the ignorant. No, it's us. Us, who recognize in order for us to grow in our knowledge and love of God, we have to first depend upon God to teach us who he is, but also others, the church, catechists, theologians, that help us. See, this is what we call formation. Great example of this. Remember the story in Acts of the Apostles and Philip and the Ethiopian. Philip is walking and minding his own business. He sees this Ethiopian reading from the book of the prophet Isaiah, and he doesn't understand anything regarding what Isaiah is writing. And so immediately, Philip jumps in, and he takes the opportunity to interpret the entire book of Isaiah to the Ethiopian. At the end of the story, the Ethiopian converts, and Philip baptizes him. And so Philip here represents essentially the church and the church's role in helping to form us for the express purpose of coming to know and love God. And so, yes, we rely upon the church, first at a local level, catechists, priests, maybe even nuns if they're around, theologians, but also at a universal level, the magisterium, which is the cardinals and the bishops, the pope. The key is they're all working together to form our intellect. But another equally important component of formation is a spiritual life, which consists of prayer and the sacraments. They, too, reveal God to us. The prayer and the sacraments are indispensable in forming us of knowing and loving God. Without prayer, without the spiritual life, our faith becomes a mere philosophy at best. That's why Jesus says, No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone who the Son wishes to reveal him. And so, the primary way in which we grow in our love as well as our knowledge of God is first and foremost rely upon God and his inspiration in the spiritual life. Give me a great example of this. Remember the story in which Jesus asks the apostles, Who do the people say that I am? And then next he asks the apostles directly, But who do you say that I am? The apostles, none of them speak up because they're unsure of Jesus' identity. But it's only Peter. And Peter says, You are the Christ, the Son of God. Remember Jesus' response to Peter. Blessed are you, Simon, son of John, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my heavenly Father. Someone just didn't whisper into Peter's ear, that's the Son of God, that is Jesus Christ, the Messiah. No. Instead, through prayerful inspiration, God the Father essentially inspired Peter to come to know Jesus' true identity. Well, if we relied only upon ourselves to come to understand who God is, then essentially we intellectualize our faith, and it never reaches our heart, its destination. St. John Chrysostom once said, 
The greatest or the longest spiritual journey is from the head to the heart. You know, ever wonder why we constantly emphasize lifelong faith formation? What lies at the core of growing in the spiritual life? We have to commit ourselves to constantly be forming ourselves, whether we're 8 years old or 80 years old, throughout our entire life. What's one of the great tragedies in the spiritual life? When people receive the sacraments of initiation, baptism, first communion, confirmation, and then they say, I'm done. You know, I've, re- I've done everything. And then they become preoccupied with the things of this world, and they no longer offer God right worship by coming to Mass every week. They can't afford the time to grow in their relationship with God, especially with a God that has given them everything that they have in life, including life itself. See, what we have to realize and remember, the essence of faith is about relationship between us and God. That's clearly seen throughout the gospel. Now, if you were to ask me to sum up the Bible in one sentence, I would say it's a love story between God and us, and God proving that love time and time again in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. See, the intellect is good as long as it works in tandem with the spiritual life. Now, we all know relationships require work. You know, a great example of this is marriage. You know, people that are married 25, even 50 years, they'll tell you, you know, it requires work, working at it each and every day. Well, so too with our faith in God. Friends, today, the sacred scriptures talk to us about the importance of being formed by the church and growing in our love and our knowledge of God. And so it's the intellect, along with the spiritual life, that work in tandem. You could say they're yoked together, pulling us to our destination, which is a greater union with God, and a life with God, and not just in this world, but in the world to come. And may the grace and the peace of Jesus Christ rest upon you always.